the first page of the benefits, modifications, and how to adjust students and backbends. Uh, it really talks a lot about um, uh, how backbends are invigorating, uplifting, and heart opening. And it's an emotional and physical journey, right? So if we kind of go back to what I was just talking about, our shoulder moves in so many different directions. We're working on our heart chakra. And then we also have our lower lumbar region where it's like grounding and, and being safe in space. You've got two different places that you're working from where people hold a lot of tension and energy and emotion. So these poses, when we start doing backbends, no one wants to do them because they're totally afraid uh, of letting go creating space, finding stillness, actually embodying their feelings. Instead of um, kind of dealing with a lot of things, I think what happens is we either disconnect or we internalize and we get really tight. And then that's where the frozen shoulders or the kind of tight muscles come from or the pecs that are really tight so that we truly are holding the weight of the world on our shoulders. All of the things that we're gonna do today are gonna help to stimulate the sympathetic nervous system and prepare the body for action. The back bends help to counteract damage of bad posture. It'll allow you to relieve back pain, bronchial distress, uh, a tennis elbow. And in realigning the spine, it helps with and promotes proper kidney function. Where are your kidneys? Your lower back. Right, in your lower back. So by doing a subtle little compression in a back bend, you, it's like um, flushing the toilet. You go, like we've been talking about, number two, and then you flush, and it goes away. And that's kind of what you're doing. It's a compression and then a release. So it's very cathartic to do back bends um, because it helps with the digestive functioning and eliminating constipation. Um, one of the cool things I think um, is that it stimulates the chakras and creates opening in the fourth heart chakra and also grounding in the first and second chakra. And we want to make sure that when we're doing any kind of back bend, and we're going to do a lot of hands-on adjustments today and touching your friends, um, that you warm up. If you're not warmed up, and that's why some salutations or any kind of like cat-cow movement is so important before you do a back bend, you have to warm your body up. You're just not going to strike a pose and go into like a dancer's pose or a camel pose or um, some other like um, scorpion pose when you're not warm because either you're going to really hurt yourself or you were a performer in Cirque du Soleil since you were three years old and it has no effect on your body. Um, but back bends uh, need to be... Um, uh, worked from alignment and from being super duper warmed up. Uh, the other thing I did is on your page two is I gave you a bunch of pictures um, from Leslie Kamenoff's book, Yoga Anatomy, to show you just the different muscle groups that you actually affect. Uh, back bends are so good for your hip flexors and your psoas. So if people have like really tight hips, they always think like, oh, I'm going to do bound angle pose, or I'm going to do konas, the wide-legged poses. But actually, um, 
it's the um, stretch back that's just as effective as the opening. Um, a lot of people also think that like crescents or warriors are good for your hip flexors, but this back bending stuff gets way deeper into those that region. Um, one thing to really make sure when you're doing all of this stuff is that your glutes and your hamstrings are active and vibrant, right? So some of you were here last week, some of you weren't. Let's just go two and two and two and two and then we'll be partners. And we had talked a little bit about alignment and how um, alignment is, uh, really helps us be grounded but that it's all about effortless effort and how it's about that balance of shira and sukha, movement and stillness, strengths and weaknesses. So we're just gonna practice again holding each other's hands. So we're gonna shake each other's hands like we really, really are super happy because we're gonna sign a contract and we got the job and we're like so excited. And now move the index finger. 
if we want to kind of visualize stuff, you want to think of the ganglion and nerves kind of being right there, where your breath emanates, three fingers below the belly button. We're going to take our rolled up strap, and we're going to keep it there between that spot you just found in your pubic bone, and you're going to lay down on your tummy. With the strap there. With the strap there. Pubic 
bones forward, lengthen the tailbone. Do you feel, as your bones hug your muscles and your muscles hug your bones, that you have more presence in this space right here? Yes or no? Okay. Now, as you're in this space, can you take and bring your hands underneath your shoulders and lift your chest up? Your elbows make little chicken wings and there's no weight in your hands. Good. Awesome. Pubic bone forward, lengthen the tail, you're in Tadasana, and then lower back down. Great. Let yourself relax. Who was the person who was going to go first? Have them stay on the ground and have the person who is going to go second, they're on the ground. Uh, they're going to stand up. My apologies. Can we get rid of this wall? Uh, is it bugging you? You can move it away yeah, if you want to. But it's to remind you to really um, create that hollowness. Because if you're every exhale, your belly stitches to your spine, and every inhale, your belly stays engaged, and there's a And then exhale, you stitch ribs together, belly presses back. Inhale, you broaden, but it's more of a diaphragmatic movement. Yeah? Those of you who are on the ground, these are your adjustments to be safe in this pose. First thing would be is you could step on your friend's feet. Some people have really, like, ew, feet issues. So don't touch the feet if you have feet issues. Okay? So you step onto their feet, are you okay? And then your partner just gently lifts up. Not a lot of weight in the hands, they're coming into cobra, but there's more engagement. Good. Awesome. With your next exhale, slowly lower back down. Just by being a teacher and walking by your student as they're going into an up dog or a cobra or anything like that, they are going to a benefit because you're walking near them. If for some reason it's like when the teacher comes near you, you don't want to be a bad student, you just kind of Whoa. like a yeah. <laughs> So the interesting thing is, is that uh, just like what we were saying, like a lot of people like to be touched. They don't get touched, so they want to, you know, like that human contact just helps. We have over 72,000 meridian lines of energy in our body. Remember that? We have mama points and different things. So just by stepping on someone's feet, it's kind of like a sign of like you're protected, you're safe. Um, some people put their toes forward. On other people's arches of their feet, you can also stick your heels into the arches of the feet. You just don't want to fall back on them. <laughs> uh, we had an interesting question over here about um, the idea of why do you have your hands down for one of your um, cobras and why do you lift your hands up for the other? Because the same reason that we're stepping on someone's feet, if your hands are down, most people are just pressing. 
If you have your hands up, then you really have to use the proper muscle groups and stay in Tadasana, yeah? And that's the same thing as why that little round uh, coiled up um, strap is underneath you so that you can really feel that these muscles have to be engaged when you're breathing. You're not passively breathing. It's not like a pranayama exercise where you're keeping your abdominal walls soft. It's a little bit different. When you're practicing, you're really working on keeping containment. Everything's drawing to center, drawing to the midline. Another interesting cue that you gave me that I wanted to just make sure you understood, and that's why some people felt the um, feet on the um, uh, feet on feet as an adjustment was really awesome, and some people didn't feel anything, is because we have to look at each person as an individual versus the whole group as what you expect them to do. So when you're cueing, some people can't put their feet close together in a cobra because their legs just don't go together that way because of the way that the hip insertion points are. So you, some people aren't going to feel anything until they lift their hands up off the ground and realize that they have the uplift of their practice comes from the inside out versus outside in. Does that make sense? So you just have to really, really hold space and create space for every student, and your cues have to be very general. Because you don't know if you're going to have 60 people in your class or six people in your class, right? And that's why hands-on adjustments are really beneficial or walking near the student is beneficial because it'll have more of a profound effect on the student. Okay? Uh, the next pose that I think would be really interesting to go into from here is sphinx pose. Do you know why people do sphinx pose? Do you know what sphinx pose is? Yeah, another one you can't do if you're pregnant right now. It's a hard opener, right? So there's some interesting poses that come from sphinx pose. Uh, sphinx pose is like an Egyptian sphinx, right? You've got the face of a human but the body of a lion. Uh, it is a lion, right? Yeah, I think so. So you can go from sphinx pose to dolphin plank. You can go from sphinx pose, which is a prep to a pose called Vajrasana, which is frog pose, where you grab onto your feet and your um, feet go towards your heels with a quad stretch, like hero's pose, and your fingers point forward like chaturanga, but both legs go down at the same time. For kids, it's pretty easy, but sphinx pose is a great pose to start to find exactly what I was having you do with the um, strap. People come forward like in the tail, so you have to engage from the inside out. Because if you hold sphinx pose for a long time, and I've heard people go to workshops where they've held this for over 20 minutes, it's a really crazy, cathartic, energetic release. Because you're, you're really working on broadening the shoulders and getting that subtle compression through the lower lumbar but what I like about sphinx pose is this is a safe space to kind of practice trying to adjust someone in an upward facing dog. So who wants to pretend that they're doing sphinx pose so I can do something? Okay, so just get into sphinx pose. I don't know why I'm like really into talking about poop today, but if you have to go to the bathroom, before class, 
the lower part of your body. Um, but what's interesting about when you do that in Sphinx pose, can you do child's pose for a second and then come back into an up dog? Up dog can be very similar in the sense of I would never want to hold on to someone and pull them too far back. There's a lot of adjustments you can do where you take a strap and you put it around the chest and then you hold on to someone as if they're like a horse. And you hold on to the two reins. You're not going to do that in your beginning classes. That's a more advanced class, so I don't really want to teach you all that. But if our student gets into an up dog, Put your hand and 
cords there, which elongates the spine. It's pretty cool. You do not have to, I guess I keep reiterating, you do not have to touch someone to actually have them feel an effect in their practice. And you don't want someone to crave being adjusted because the whole purpose of coming to the mat is to get our head on straight and find resiliency and to find internal strength that comes from within and not from someone doing something to you. So would you typically like ask if I can adjust you if you're just going to do like this one? You, you can get close to someone and say like, you know, lengthen, lengthen up towards my hand if you have a mirror in front of you. you. You always should ask personally, this is just my opinion, but before class, hi, uh, hi my name's Jess. It's an honor to have all of you in class today. Um, maybe this is what our focus is, and I'm going to be doing hands-on adjustments. And usually your ch people are in either Shavasana or child's pose or some kind of pose where no one can see anybody else, and you say, raise your hand if you don't want any hands-on adjustments because I'm going to be practicing them today. Is that? Yeah, I was like wondering like before, I mean I guess it was just like the style that we were doing it. Yeah. Like is that considered an adjustment? If you're yes, doing that. that would be considered an adjustment. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like any, Great question. any like invasion of personal space. Yes. Not necessarily physically yes. touching, but space. Yes. And more and more we're becoming aware of people's traumas or issues. But they fill out forms, and if you're having like 50 people come to a class and you work with an organization, you're just signing someone in on the computer, you don't know what their little form says. You're just, they're just another number coming in. And so to really know people's names and know what's going on, and the more that you start to see the student, the more you'll be aware of how to help them and adjust them. Okay? Um, Backbend bow pulling pose is the next one that we're going to do. Uh, bow is what in Sanskrit? that yoga is teaching. 
mat to ground down. And it doesn't matter how cool you look in your poses, you're not going to adjust someone if it's dangerous. So what I'm going to teach you are a couple of different things. Your block is your best friend. And the other thing is, is um, so I grew up in the era of Suzanne Summers' thigh master. Chair. Chair. So I'm still engaged. Okay? All 
you can tell because she lost it how it's harder yes. to do that. Yep. Oh, because nice. you're not used to it, so it creates more engagement. Okay? And you'll like the other way better because the way your legs are in your insertion points. So now lower back down now that you felt what it feels like with the block in between there. And let's try it without the block. And this t-shirt is going to stand to the um, outsides of the knees. The feet are going to be grabbed by the student, hands wrapping around the outsides of the feet. Yep. Now the student is going to lift up. And the teacher is going to come to the outside and put their legs close to them and you, the student push out into the teacher's oh legs. Does that make a difference? Yeah. Oh. 
if someone is smaller than you or if you're bigger than someone and you adjust them, you will know how to kind of find that or compensation or find that balance between the two. But um, it feels really good when someone is laying over you in a child's pose. Even if you think you're going to break them, you're not. But also a good lesson in like, like in this setting to practice things with each other. But yeah. If you're not comfortable with doing it, then yeah. don't do it in class, right? Yes, exactly. And that's a huge mm -hmm. thing. People are like a board mission while you're like, <laughs> all the time and only just to your point don't do anything that you aren't comfortable doing or you wouldn't do yourself yeah. um kind of a side note from the boat um yep. if i feel like a lot of pressure in your knees yeah, from just on one of them like when i go up it's like in 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 the poses yeah. then you should um do you have any tendon or any like i mean right? None of us are doctors. We just play one on TV. So I would say like to back off, see if something's going on and if it continues or persists, then I would maybe go to the doctor. Yeah. You might be overstretching it or it might have like just not woken up happy today. Is it just one day or both? It's just one and it's like It's a good thing yogis don't count our, our life by the number of years, we count our life by the number of breaths. And our ultimate goal is to find balance, right? Because we're a little twisted up. So because of the domino effect, sometimes like our knees give way or our hips give way or our shoulders give way because something's out of balance. So that's a good thing you're practicing yoga. But we also have to honor our body and respect it because every day is different. Um, so we have, like, this clock says 4.30? Yeah? Okay. So in the next half hour, we're going to move now towards um, a standing bow dancer's pose, adjusting that, and using camel with the wall and a block, and then going into full wheel. Are you ready? Very exciting. Okay. Uh, uh, one thing about the standing bow that I really like to do is just adjust it with a strap so that the student adjusts themselves, right? So if we were, per se, at, if you were pregnant and you were in a class and you didn't want to do the floor bow, but you know that they haven't done a standing bow, you could always do a standing bow. Or you could always do a, a camel pose because it's the same kind of principle. So let's all grab our strap. Um, a lot of people like to get all fancy and take the strap and make a loop and all that stuff with their foot. So let's just do it old school and just fold the strap in half. Let's do our right foot. Take your right foot so that the strap is being held by the right hand and the strap is at your right ankle. 
thumb is up, but even this way, the thumb would be up. See what I'm See the difference? Like, some people just wrap, they just instead of just that Okay. All right. If I was working with my partner and she uses the other arm instead, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, so, reach your hand back for your foot. Reach your hand forward. And I put my hand out here and I say press it on my hand as she kicks back. Now she can get into the pose and this is the jump out. Without touching her hips, without touching her shoulders, kick and release. So what I want you to do is to meet your friend's hand where it's reaching up high, like a high up for a victory or a high five, and literally press hand into hand and notice that extension that by finding stability, sharing with others, working with someone else will really help you to create more space. So some interesting questions were raised, right? Which, how far lean forward? What about the rotation of the hands? What about the um, knee alignment? Okay, every pose is? Okay, if I'm in Tadasana, which way are my palms facing? Open, right? Okay, if I am in Tadasana, how are my hips? Square. So what happens if I start to open and my feet start going in two different directions? Am I in Tadasana? No. no. So that if a student has started off in alignment, but then as they start kicking, their knee goes mm -hmm. up yeah. and their body, if they stood back down to the ground, they're kind of like this. Oh. Is that Tadasana? No. Right? So if you work to keep every pose to awesome, it doesn't matter how far forward you go or how far high you reach up to the sky when you're doing your alignment, right? It's different schools of thought. The most important thing is that if you cue for modifications on up and if you cue that every pose is to awesome, then your student will never be injured or disconnected in the pose. They'll always be connected and fluid and flowing. And that's the hardest thing, because when you see a lot of these pictures or a lot of things that are coming out in social media or on imagery and stuff like that, it might not be yoga. It might be more of an athletic position or a fitness pose than it is maybe what we're trying to do when we're doing our yoga. Yeah? Plus, things move really fast, so we're discussing things ad nauseum, but actually, you're going to have like two seconds to have people in a pose, and unless it's like a specific standing vinyasa class, and it's not a vinyasa class where you hold the pose for 60 seconds, you're not really going to have that much to be able to like work with. So it'll be um, reach your hand back, extend one hand forward, kick and stretch, kick and stretch, release. You know? Unless you're workshopping it, or it's a... And this isn't a pose you're going to be teaching if you're teaching restorative, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Is this a pose you're going to be teaching if you're teaching a yin class? No. No. <laughs> Is this a pose you're going to be teaching if you're teaching uh, um, yoga nidra? No. That would be really funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we have... Philosophy on how many breaths? In a pose? <laughs> 
every pose has at least five deep breaths. And then when they get into the back bends, they do 25 breaths. In a back bend? Yeah, you hold your back bends way longer. You know, if you're doing like a camel, Ustrasana, which is our next pose, you're not just going to cruise into a camel and just say like, stay there for two seconds and come on out. Because you're not really going to get the effectiveness of it. It actually triggers the sympathetic nervous system, which produces what? Bile. Bile? No, yeah, like 
if you look down the tip of your nose and you touch the tongue to the roof of your mouth, you're protecting yourself. So the first thing that I'd like you all to do is grab your mouth. Yeah, you just, yeah, it's magic. Yoga is magic. Okay, take your block and your mat and pull it towards the wall. And you can do this if you're pregnant. Yeah. And 
what did you feel by having the contact of your hips to the wall the entire time? I felt like I got more in my upper. So more opening in the chest, more, yep, the more stability in the lumbar region. Upper, upper body, yep, okay. Um, most people, when they do camel pose, they lean back so much that they're actually not getting the stretch through the front of the legs, right? They start to, they start to, I mean, you press your hips to the wall, but most people go like this, right? And then they're not getting the full effect of the pose. The idea of the pose is it comes from like, okay, javelin, crescent, we're all preparing to be the archer of the bow and arrow, right? That's all we're doing. So the bow that we're holding as the hero is all of the bow pulling poses. So you're literally are like the, the tension setting of the strings. You're not too tight, you're not too loose. You want to have your bow in a really good position so that you can aim the heart center. But you have to open up, right? Okay? And that makes you open up well. Um, what is the first thing that I had to do? You want to 
for beginners or for, um, you know, really serious advanced students. There's always further ways that you can go and take these poses into, but make sure that you really respect the student and where they come from and uh, that you're cueing breath, that you allow them to create enough space in their spine to find Tadasana. You're going to be really, really awesome teachers. I look forward to seeing you next week. And um, have a beautiful, beautiful, heartwarming evening, yes? Namaste.